I met like a couple of coworkers for the first time. And we met at P6 at the Lion Hotel. And we had a couple of drinks. I had two drinks. I had um, a Reposado Old Fashioned and a Mezcal Old Fashioned. And I woke up with the worst headache. Just felt oh, because like it had been a minute? Crap. Yeah. And I was just like, I had two drinks. I wasn't buzzed at all. It just, my body was just like, nah, cuz. <laughs> it's just like, nope, I'm not, I'm not about it. I wouldn't say I drink as heavily since like all this quarantine stuff started happening, but I drink more frequently. So like, I'll be at home. I'll be like, all right, I'm just going to have a glass of wine or a beer. Like who cares? Yeah. And that's like every day. But it's not like I'm crushing like six of them, you know. Right, you're just drinking it like like orange juice now. Just like, oh, let me yeah, have a drink. Basically, <laughs> we're all gonna have to build our tolerance back up. It's gonna be like real sloppy out there once this stuff starts oh. opening back up. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's yeah. gonna be a one drink wonder for sure. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, just gonna be falling out on the street, man. Welcome back to Way Down South Radio. I'm Larry Luke. Today I'm joined by two of my good friends from Austin, Texas, uh, Neeraj and Darren. And they're actually huge Houston sports fans because that's kind of where they're from. So the first question I kind of wanted to get into to warm things up is the topic of sports curses. Now, I live in a city, Atlanta, where we play in a lot of championship games, but we don't necessarily always win them. So anytime we lose a regular season game in like a catastrophic way or a player gets injured or something happens, even Georgia football loses a game, everyone laments, woe is me. That's the Atlanta sports curse again. And I hate that. Like, I, I think that's so counterproductive to building our city up. And I was wondering, does that exist within the Houston sports fan base? Some part of my makeup as a Houston sports fan is solidified in the 90s Houston Oilers constant meltdowns to the Buffalo Bills. And there's the 35-3 to Thanksgiving weekend comeback, which was like the worst comeback in NFL history at the Mm -hmm. time. And like, I think that game is a perfect microcosm for how Houstonians feel about Houston sports. We actually never think we're going to make it there. And then if we do make it there, like we're going to fall flat on our face. And I know that's it might seem funny to say that because we had the Rockets back to back. But then we also had the Astros who finally made it to the series. And it was a total choke job against the White Sox that one year. So I think that for me, yes, the choking is part of our (laughs) part of our DNA as a Houston sports fan. I'm curious what Darren thinks. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of that just because, you know, from a from a football perspective, you know, our AFL team was great. And then, like Neeraj mentioned, the Oilers could never really get over the hump. And then that team just kind of dissolved. And then for a long time, we moved. So for a long time, we were all, you know, fans of of um Tennessee Titans. The, the Titans, right. And we just followed Steve McNair and that team, and, and that was kind of who we rooted for until, you know, uh, the Texans um, came to town. With the Rockets, it's a little bit different 
you know, because we did have the, the two back-to-backs in 90, 94 and 95. But it's it's almost like that was just, I mean, we still remember it. I still remember going out to the to the parades on like Westheimer and Richmond when they won and people honking their horns. And I remember all the t-shirts and everything else. But I mean, I almost don't. Like I remember it I, I, vividly, but it's it's so long ago. It's so far gone that I don't ever think we'll win again. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't ever think that we'll get back there. And even if we get to, you know, the finals or the Super Bowl or something like that, I'll never actually believe we'll win until after the buzzer sounds and we've won. I'll never believe that we're going to win. We could be up 20 points, five touchdowns. I'll never believe that we're going to win until the game is actually over because we probably won't because we'll choke. Man. <laughs> well, that kind of happened to us. We were up by a lot. And yeah. uh, I think oh, that yeah. kind of deaded it for some people where they absolutely believe a curse exists now. I think that's like so peanut brained, to be honest. To your point of the Rockets winning back to back in the 90s, the Braves won the World Series in the 90s. But there have been so many people that have moved away from Atlanta since then. And so many more people have moved to Atlanta since then. And they don't remember that. They don't have the parade to hang their hat on. And uh, so this yeah. curse thing is just, it's just something you fight through on social media like every week. See, what's funny about that is that Braves championship was 95, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Braves fans have a long-term memory because they, they realize that much hasn't happened since then and their confidence in their team is a bit tepid. Whereas a Cowboys fan who have just had successive meltdown season as a season win one game and they're like, we're going back to the Super Bowl. So yeah. I, I respect Atlanta fans and I'm always, I'm always an anti-Cowboys hater, but. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in Cowboys know, country and at one point I was a Cowboys fan. I'm glad you've outgrown that phase of your life. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've That's why we friends now. <laughs> But, you know, the thing is, too, you talk about both of those cities winning in the mid-90s. And then, of course, those cities changing, gentrification, growth, industries changing and shifting. And you think about it like, you know, where the Rockets won those championships at the summit, that's now a church. Like the Astrodome, where those thing, all those things happens with um, those early Oilers teams and even the Astros, like that's gone now. Like Ast- the Astrodome is gone. Astroworld is gone. So if you're of a certain age, there aren't any physical remnants. At yeah. All. When we were kids, we thought these stadiums were such permanent fixtures. Like maybe this stadium is going to be the next Wrigley or something. And it just gets bulldozed <laughs> and they build <laughs> right. another one. That's so true. You know, the other thing we're not mentioning about Houston sports is like, we, j- we can't have nice things in some sense. Like, <laughs> okay, we, we get the Rockets championship, but then we're always, we kind of have this asterisk in the shadow of Jordan not being in the league, right? And that's always part of the com- national conversation. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Houstonian are like, yeah, we won, but okay, no, no one's given him full, full credit. The Astros, Dodgers... World Series, one of the greatest of all time. And then that gets, we get hoodwinked by our own team for this huge cheating scandal, right? (laughs) So it's like, when do we just get a clean, fair shake at a championship where Mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. no questions, no asterisks, no scandals? Well, what's the temperature of the fan base of Astros fans these days? I have a lot of friends who have just given up on that team straight up. Is it because of the scandal? Yeah, for sure. Oh, wow. And I mean, the other thing about, sorry, uh, the other thing is just like, I think we have trash ownership all around. Yeah. I mean, I think with Astros, it's just kind of like shame, right? 
because we, you know, we went so long on a drought and then we finally won. And, you know, love it or hate it, good sports fans, bad sports fans, what you want to do when your team wins is brag. You want to talk about it. You want to be able to kind of bang your chest a little bit about like, hey, we yeah, finally I got know. it done. I saw you guys. Y'all had yeah. the new, new era fitteds on. <laughs> yeah. And now that's kind of tarnished. You actually can't do that. There's no valid argument to say we won fair and square and we're validated. So is that hat like at the back of the rotation now? Yo, I still, I, I wore that hat post cheating scandal on LA. You know what? So I'm, I'm still rocking H10. <laughs> I got I like talked. I had, I had so much shit thrown my way. I was walking through the airport and just like TSA dudes were coming up to me like, no, nah, you can't wear that hat in here. Man. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, legit. <laughs> oh man. I was I, absorbing all the hate. I remember flying to New York one time for opening day of baseball. I was going to see the Braves play at the Mets. Got off the plane. I was wearing my Braves hat. And some guy came up to me and was like, yo, fuck the Braves. You know, (laughs) go Mets. I was like, damn, it's like that. You know, like LaGuardia. (laughs) Like stepped off the plane. I was like, wow. All right. Have you guys ever, like, enjoyed being the away fan at a game? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Also in LA, the UT championship, Vince Young. Oh man, that legendary game. That's Vince Young. Um, who was the running back? Was that Ricky Williams? Reggie Bush was on. Reggie the other Bush. Side. Reggie Bush. Reggie yeah. Bush. Right. Yeah, Matt Liner. Man, that game was legendary. Legendary. That was dope. Like we came into their house. They had multiple championships. I had Pete Carroll, and we just and you know Vince had won the Rose Bowl the year prior in LA as well. So it was like. That was his town. That was so what's he doing now? <laughs> that well, let's not go there, man. See, we can't have anything nice. Why? You, yeah. Just, why you want to do that? Why right? you bring up oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to so let us have that poke the bear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's a legend. That's what I remember. He is. A, he is a legend, and that's a funny story with the Titans because I feel like if the if the Texans had drafted him, he didn't have to suffer under Jeff Fisher. He might have mm. turned out different. That was Mario Williams. Where is he? Yeah. Number one draft pick. Yep. Um, well, staying on the Houston tip, uh, I was reading something. You know, I'm an MLS fan, and you guys are getting MLS in Austin soon. Um, I was reading the story about how the Houston Dynamo are exploring a rebrand, so possibly not being called the Dynamo anymore, and maybe have like a more, I guess, European-sounding club name. Maybe keep the colors, maybe change them. I don't know, like Harden's partial owner too, I think. Um, But anyway, they want to target more of the Latin community in Houston, uh, which probably is a good strategy. And I responded to a tweet of that story, and I was like, this would be great if they hired a creative agency led by minorities uh, to bring a different point of view with the branding and like the campaign and all of that. And someone wrote back to me and was like, they should have a team led by J.J. Watt and he should be running the show (laughs) and choosing the creative. And I was like, you missed the entire point. (laughs) I mean, I know J.J. Watt's the Houston guy, right? But um, he's not a minority. He's a great dude, but nah, no. Like, he's great for a lot of different reasons. And I appreciate that strategy in terms of you know, trying to market more towards um, Latinx community because that's a big part of Houston. 
And that's a big part of, you know, soccer culture. So I don't I don't think that's wrong necessarily. But if you're marketing towards a certain demographic, but you're not buying into that group of people, you're just exploiting them. And, you know, we have a friend who uses this term all the time. It's extraction. Like we want Mm -hmm. your money. We want your support. We want you at the games. We want you to buy in. But we're not giving anything back to you. No one who looks like you is in charge. No one who looks like you is making decisions. No one who looks like you is doing anything but being a customer. Mm -hmm. So if that's the way they're approaching this, then I'm not with it. I think it would be inauthentic. Have you guys noticed like what the rollout for um, Austin FC has been in town? Like, what are, are people talking about it? Like, what kind of people are buying in? No, I don't, man. I feel like that chatter, I think it was hype for a second, but it got real quiet with the pandemic. I was also going to ask uh, Darren this because I'm like, do you say you're from Austin or do you say you're from Houston if someone asks you? Because we both live in Austin, but... I mean, I still say I'm from Houston yeah, just because... <laughs> I, you know, I, I like it here. Obviously I still live here. Otherwise, uh, if I didn't, I wouldn't be here, but I I don't want to be from here. Like (laughs) I don't, you don't claim, you don't claim it. I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I would not want that to be my history. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm so proud to be from Houston as opposed to any other Texas city. What? So your IG bio doesn't have like the pin drop emoji, Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm changing it right now. <laughs> I'm going to bring us back to that comment you just made in a second, Larry. Oh, okay, okay. But I, um, I agree, man. Like, I actually probably have never said I'm from Texas in my life. I have always said I'm from Houston. Mm, yeah. You know, because Texas just comes loaded with stigmas. Not that Houston doesn't, but I think it at least has a better connotation. And then Austin does. Like, I mean, if you say if you throw Austin around, there's enough people who have heard about it and heard it's a cool place or creative place. Yeah, I feel the same way as Darren does. Like, I mean, I'm just prouder to be from that city and its diversity and its people than I am. Yeah, yeah, it's loaded when you say I'm from Texas. I I know that because I grew up in Dallas and, you know, I remember going away to like a sleepaway camp in uh, another state when I was younger. And people were like, do you ride a horse to school? (laughs) Like, I'm like, yo, like, it's not like that. But um, I am proud to live in Atlanta, and I say I live in Atlanta, but I don't claim Georgia at all. And I would say a lot of people that are listening to this, a lot of people that love Atlanta, probably have a similar mindset. Because Georgia's a whole other problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's just a different sort of positivity, just an affirmation when you say, I'm from Houston, or I'm from Atlanta, or I'm from D.C., just because there's like a, a, a cultural uh, thought of like, oh, okay, those places are pretty diverse. Yeah, so yeah. someone immediately starts to think, okay, well, this person might be kind of well-rounded. Let's see what they say next. But <laughs> let's see they got a they good start. <laughs> yeah, it's a good start, you know. But don't we all carry biases like from where wherever anyone's from? You know, if someone says I'm from Paris, you're like, oh, you're probably like that too. It may be more of a positive. Right, uh, yeah. A hundo, man. This is so funny. Like, this was my... I, we, I used to travel with two buddies who live in New York a lot. And we would take multiple trips, like Paris, Copenhagen, if we're going abroad, I mean. And every time we'd go somewhere and meet someone, my, my homie would just make me cringe so much because he'd be like, oh, we're from New York, but he's from Texas. 
And I'd be mm. like, first of all, dude, you just texted me where to eat in the city last night. So, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. and, you know, it, it's to that exact point, which is like someone is now sizing me up to be backwards, you know, not cultured, yeah. whatever, whatever. So you yeah. should be like, don't speak for me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the thing about that is, and Larry, you kind of mentioned this earlier, like when I was younger, we'll meet people from New York and places like that. And we would connect on like hip hop and, you know, other things. But that would take a lot of work because when you tell them you're from Texas, they would say the exact same thing. Oh, do you ride horses and stuff like that? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. So when Neeraj would, you know, have to be the Texas guy in Europe, he kind of almost innately had to to prove something. Yeah, you're on defense already. I'm I'm, okay. I'm smart. I'm not country. I'm not this. I'm not that. You almost have to go a little bit harder in terms of the representation of yourself because you're you're already kind of at a disadvantage because of where you're from. So you got to catch up to the New York people who are already viewed as more cultured, more intelligent. That like just New York carries like that clout. I was talking to a homie the other day um, who isn't back in New York right now. He's he lives in New York, but you know because of the pandemic, he's like staying with his mom like outside of Chicago and he's like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to end up like leaving New York permanently or not. But like for a while, I'm going to go back and like need to get some more content with the city behind me. You know, like there's just something more relevant about like spitting what I'm spitting on IG stories when I'm in the city versus like at my mom's house. I'm like, damn, it's really like that. Like the (laughs) optics are really like that for some people. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it too. Like a lot of, editors and stylists and consultants you know super hardcore new yorkers very well known in the city very well respected and all of a sudden they're like just you know kicking it in lexington kentucky and shit (laughs) (laughs) for like months on end and it's almost like damn your glass slipper like oh that content fell off that fell off and Yo, you, just, ain't, you haven't updated your story in a month. <laughs> it's yeah. also like this weird cultural cosign, right? Like you imagine there's kids who are following people. They're sitting back on their Instagram. They're like seeing who to follow. And it's like if they see that person is located somewhere, it's just that association that they place with them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that same photographer who, show, who just shoots dope stuff. Like if they happen to be from New York versus Nashville – that following is going to be not different. Yeah, you're right. You know, that's just that bias that we have baked in. It's the currency. It is a currency, yeah. Another thing that's really funny is when I tell people, oh, yeah, I'm from Atlanta, the first words out of their mouth, it's almost like a call and response. They'll be like, hot Atlanta. And I'm like, nobody says that. (laughs) Nobody from Atlanta says that. Like, don't say that. And it's just like aggression comes out of me. I'm like, you can't be, you can't be doing that. But like, it's almost like um, unconscious the way it happens. Yeah, that's like the riding horses thing with Texas. Yeah. And then people will be very like interested in your words. Like they'll be they'll be trying to pick up y'all and <laughs> soda water and like, you know just like random stuff that you may or may not say in conversation. They'll kind of be looking for it. Oh yeah, Darren. He kind of has a twang. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I say be- y'all. Well, you're, say, you're south. Say yeah, I can't help it. I, I say it. Well, that's the other funny thing is like people don't consider Texas the south, right? Texas is Texas, and the south is a whole different mm-hmm. thing. Georgia, Carolinas, Alabama. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The city. Like that's the South. Yeah, I mean, having lived in both for half two two halves of my life, I I've I've been both. I've seen I've seen both sides of it, and I know people from Texas though are generally more proud to be Texans than like someone from like South Carolina. It's literally the slogan, bro. Texas proud. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's so annoying too. And then the don't mess with Texas like campaign, like that's just now like part of the zeitgeist. People just say that. People are always sticking up for Texas like the actual state of Texas has their back and is going to like hold them up and we're pulling up. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the state is it's so weird. It's I mean, I get like being proud of where you're from, but you know, that's more so representative of like your people and what you were taught, how you were raised, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the buildings around you, the streets, the street names, or like, you know, all of these things that we kind of talked about earlier, just get bulldozed one day and just be gone. It's not really, it's just, you know, eventually it's just a relic. Whether it's yeah, relevant I mean, or not, kinda, it's up to you. That kind of relates to something I wanted to talk about. This pandemic has forced people to decide to like move, maybe even permanently, make the complete changes or shifts in their life and a lot of people are moving away from new york or moving away from la or moving to new york or moving to la and the social media trend is you know i'm, I'm making this move and it's blah 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 i want to thank the city for like three long years of great experiences and all this like and it the it just gets long you know the caption gets long as hell and it's like do we need that like can't you just be proud to enter a new chapter of your life? Yeah, it's like, I want to thank my parents for subsidizing my rent in South Williamsburg while I worked for this creative agency for two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's that probably happens so much. I agree, though. I always crack up, like, if a New Yorker moves to L.A., they always got to let you know that. Yeah, I live in Los Angeles now, but... You know, I used to live in New York for 10 years. I'm like, just tell me you moved, just, you live in LA. But back to your comment earlier, I feel like those people, 99% of their like identity stems from the fact that they get to tag New York in their IG bio. You know, those are those people <laughs> that feel the need to tell you. To do the pin drop. To do the pin drops. I get like needing to get that out of your system or, you know, living out this dream or whatever. I guess I support, I definitely support that, but. And I also support the decision to like need to move to Lexington, Kentucky, if you need to, or whatever it might be. But it's just embrace that life too, man. Like, be happy where you're from. Like, th- I think there's nothing more tacky than like, yeah, I used to live in L.A., so I'm going to talk about it every day. Oh I'm going to bring it up all the time. Yeah. You know, like I think that that's like, well, then you should just be there. You're just ba- you're basically saying you're not dope, and like the you're only dope as a function of being in a certain place that's considered dope. Right. You're just a dork. But that's also, at least in my opinion, that's also a conditioning. If you grew up in Texas, or you grew up in the South, or you grew up in the Midwest, it was always sold to you one way or another through media, through family, through people who were interesting or cool, that if you wanted to be interesting or cool or to have some kind of value, or if you wanted to be around the best of the best, in any field, you needed to be in New York or LA or Chicago. So it was kind of like where you were 
just wasn't as valuable as those places. And if you were doing something in those places, you weren't doing it as well as the people in New York or L.A. That was the cream of the crop. So, you know, for me, growing up in Houston, I wanted to be a writer. When I graduated high school, print media was kind of dead. There were no jobs in Texas to write at a magazine or to do any of that work. Guess where you had to go do that? In New York. Right. So it was always like, for one reason or another, especially if you were work, trying to work in a creative field, it mm-hmm. was aspirational. You were trying to get there. You were trying to belong. You wanted to be good enough to be there. You wanted to be good enough to take a job from a New Yorker yeah. or something along those lines, right? So it's kind of a conditioning. Like you, It's aspirational. Again, you have to get there. You have to be good enough to get there. Yeah. I agree. And I like, I mean, the reality even now is that certain industries and jobs only exist in places like New York, LA, whatever, other large creative centers, and not centers, but places that actually have creative industry. And any place you live is going to be part of your story, right? But it's just like, do you need to bring it up every time that that story comes up? Like, right. how much of your identity is that? That's the point. Like, if you lived in New York for 10 years, that's dope. I mean, I want to do that too. That's beautiful. But like, that's not the first thing and the thing I'm going to tell you every single time I meet you. Yeah, to right. me, I think that's the same as well, I did a summer abroad in Spain, junior year in college, and then having to bring that up anytime someone talks about wine. Or, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, it's like you become that insufferable character. I mean, perfect example, my friend Zach, well, if he's listening to this, he'll laugh his ass off. But, like, we always go to the soccer bar to, like, watch, watch games, especially Atlanta United away games. We go to the same bar. And there's this dude there that always comes over and starts dominating the conversation about his summer abroad in Spain and why he's a Barca fan. And I'm like, bro, like, I really just don't need to know about this right now for the 10th time. I love those people, man. They're like, yeah, I lived in, I lived in Portugal for, or I lived in Portugal. I'm like, oh, bet. Like, how long? When were you there? Two weeks for a study abroad. I'm like, no, man. <laughs> I, no, that doesn't count. Like, I think man, the litmus you- test for claiming you live somewhere is like a year and you got to have an electric bill under your neck. That's it. That's you gotta have bills. You, you gotta, gotta have, have bills. bills, and you need twelve months. It's like fam, Otherwise, you, you are just on vacation. If you didn't have to un- actually unpack your suitcase, like you didn't have to do laundry, like come on, bro. Yeah, totally. I know all of us are so used to like hopping on flights nonstop. Like, I think for a while there, I would see you guys in Austin on the regular. Like every three or four months, we'd be getting together. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys were in town and there'd been times I'd miss you guys. Cause near you'd be in Paris or Darren, you'd be like writing some sneaker thing in LA or New York. But this year has totally grounded us. How are you guys feeling? Are you getting desperate? Like, are you going to make a road trip? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, man, the, the great American road trip is back. huh? And I, I definitely feel tapped creatively. I like, I don't think I've taken a new picture on my phone weeks months you know what What? i mean like something i'd want to post or share but as soon as you get out of your where you're living day to day it's just like you see things with new eyes even if that's that's a place you've been to 20 times Mm -hmm. and that's definitely you know we always like clown instagram social media but like that's definitely a creative impulse right taking a picture sitting down editing it and i think one thing begets another like if i'm shooting then i'm also writing but if i'm not doing one maybe i'm not doing the other you know so I think I'm missing a lot of that, just seeing things with fresh eyes. Yeah. You know, that's funny. You never post anything on your feed 
not your stories, because, you know, you can post bullshit on your stories, but you never post anything on your feed unless you're traveling, (laughs) unless you're in a different space, you're seeing something new, because if you're in your same city, you've seen it a million times. It's not new. It's not revolutionary. It's not inspiring at all. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm missing traveling a lot. Um, It's definitely a mental health thing for me. Cause I, I, I don't know if I've just grown accustomed to it, but yeah, I could, I could easily get in a funk, just get in a way being in Austin for months and months and months on end. Have you, have either of you guys been back to Houston at all to see family? I've done that a few times. Yeah. But it's such an extension of Austin in, in the sense that it's close to it. And it's something that's happened so much. Like that's a frequent occurrence. Like I'll go back. So it doesn't feel like I'm going somewhere new. You know what I mean? I just feel like yeah. I'm driving a little further to get a coffee or something. <laughs> <laughs> a three hour coffee drive. Yeah, it's like a three and a half hour coffee drive. <laughs> oh man. Like part of me just wants to drive for uh, 15 hours and get a coffee at Saturday's New York and then drive 15 hours back. <laughs> just to spend like an afternoon in Soho would be amazing. Just to put your headphones on and walk in the city with a cup of coffee in your hand for an hour. Would be yeah, dude, that's gold. That's gold. That's like something I'd like to do every day. Absolutely. That's one of the charms of being somewhere else. Well, I think it probably affects us, you know, more than some people, generally speaking, because we all kind of have like that nomadic sensibility. When we go somewhere, we just want to walk around. We just want to roam, take pictures, walk for hours. No agenda. Just being just existing in a different space and kind of soaking in what that space kind of offers culturally, visually, spiritually, whatever. So that's kind of, you know, a sensibility that we all share. And everybody doesn't have that. Like some people want to go somewhere and they have, a you know, agenda, bullet points. I'm going to go to this museum. I'm going to go to this. this. I can't travel. There's like no that, bro. discovery. Like F the itinerary. I can't do that. Yeah. Man. I was like, I need four hour windows of exploration yeah let me find it right yeah it's why i'm like i'm a big proponent on like everyone has this notion of it not like a bucket list that sounds so cheesy but at least like a few places they want to see in their life which you know we all should do but there's something really special about going back to a place over and over obviously you peel back the layers you really get to know the scene you get to probably make some friendships but it's also like the pressure's off to darren's point like there's no Excel spreadsheet of like the five restaurants you have resos at and the museums you want to hit up. Like the pace feels totally different. Yeah. And I miss relaxed. that a lot. I miss that about New York, Paris, like just relaxed. Like I'm at home, but I'm somewhere else. And, yeah. That's you know? Mexico city for me. I go time and time again, stay in the same neighborhood, go to the same markets, go to the same restaurants, walk through the same parks literally just go and stay in the same neighborhood. If I can get the same spot that I've stayed at in the past, I'll, I'll do that. But yeah, it's it's so cool to make like another place your home for a minute, like when you can and just see those neighborhoods change over six months or a year or two. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like a special thing about traveling. Yeah, that's you know, definitely me for Hawaii. That like oh, yeah. same, same hood, same same coffee shop, that kind of thing. Can't go this year. It really sucks. But um, I did want to ask about the walking around thing. I don't know if this is crass or what the etiquette is, but one thing that I love to do is get like a sandwich from a deli and eat it while I'm walking around a city. 
like the eat and walk thing just mm-hmm. i know it feels like <clears throat> very like on the go like business lunch style but i love to get that feel for this is what it's like if i lived here and i was eating a lunch <laughs> i love that too i feel like the first time you're in the city you're in new york and you folded a slice of pepperoni properly and it hasn't <laughs> dripped on your shirt like <laughs> that's a real moment you know what i mean like take a bow you've arrived <laughs> i mean I know Neeraj and I share this when we go different cities. Like for me, it's a couple of things. But for one that I know Neeraj says this too, it's always croissants. Like if I'm walking around eating croissants and I got the flakes and all that shit all over me, like I'm at home, man. I'm, I'm feeling hive. good. But I do that, you know, like with fruit too. It's just like this thing that you, I don't know, it's this weird thing about you have to eat it with your hands, obviously. You might get a little bit messy. You look very at home you look unprepared you don't look like you're a traveler you don't look like you're visiting you look like mm-hmm. you're just kind of walking down the block doing your own thing eating a piece of fruit you know wiping the wiping the juices on your yeah, pants man. or something you know what i mean the, the um, street snaps of that of darren walking in his trench with like eating an apple like that's pretty <laughs> cool man yeah it just it feels like it feels like you're not doing anything special while you're doing something really cool Man, holding a piece of fruit is the new like fit pick accessory. Is it? <laughs> you just load it with Georgia peaches over there. I'm gonna make that. I'm gonna make that happen, man. Wait, how Next did I miss pick, this? How did I miss fruit. this wave? Like, what's the what's the hashtag? What's the what's the fruit fit hashtag? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Fruit fit. <laughs> <laughs> produce produce picks. Can, can I ask y'all a question? Speaking of fit topic, because I saw Darren post this the other day, but what's up with what's up with these kids like wearing knockoff sneakers and that's the way right now? So are these like the knockoff sneakers that are like Air Jordan ones, but like the swoosh is different and it's got like, you know, some other yeah. like logo on it and it's made by like some bro who like sews sneakers. That's what you're yeah. talking about? Okay. Well, it's it's a couple different things, but that specifically is kind of a thing right now. Mm hmm. I don't really know how it emerged. I mean, I get it. Like, I can appreciate a good creation. Like, if you, you buy a shoe, deconstruct it, kind of do some different things to it, and it's just yours. You know, it's just something that you made because you wanted to be creative, and, and you did it. But now it's becoming a thing where that's kind of a commodity, and people are passing these, you know, better or worse, kind of cool creations off as its own entity. Like, it's not yeah. a Jordan 1. Now it's my thing. But, and that's the bullshit. Well, but, I mean, Virgil's done that with the shoes he's been doing for LV, where they kind of look like uh, AJ4s or and stuff like that. Like, there's all this, like, making derivative stuff, but making it your own way. And that right, happened, like... like Hender Scheme did the same thing, like, doing it with all that Vanchetto leather, leather, but it's literally a Stan Smith. It's literally an Air Jordan. Right. Maybe it's just, like, trickled down to, like, now it's okay just to bootleg whatever you want. I mean, Virgil also did that with a Scion and called it a G-Wagon. So <laughs> <laughs> I think we've devolved. Facts, facts. Here. Man, I didn't really like participate in those jokes as much as I probably should have. But like that was a moment for the social media to roast that car for a while. Well, see, my thing is, and, and Virgil is a part of that. He's been very blatant in a lot of cases. And the thing that bothers me is people will kind of take the argument back to race in the sense that, oh, well, well, why can't Virgil rip off some shit? White artists have been ripping off stuff for years. And like, well, that doesn't make it right. 
Right. That doesn't that doesn't make it interesting or exciting just because like he's a black guy he should get to you know plagiarize too like okay yeah I guess so but it's still shitty yeah Could equally call him out but at first when you said bootleg shoes I was thinking like SpongeBob Air Jordans like that's what you would get like at the market like down the street in Atlanta really shitty bootleg uh, Jordans yeah and that's you know the kind of stuff you would get in Houston. At like, Marwin. yeah, King's Flea Market, yeah. or you know something like that, or you know in the you know the New York version like Chinatown knockoffs or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and you know that stuff was always just kind of, kind of funny, honestly, but you know it was now, jokes. It was jokes, right? And it didn't it didn't like market correct anything because for one they weren't made very well and they weren't a commodity. People weren't buying them. There wasn't demand for it. But now, you know, the thing with fakes for me is is the motive is to deceive, right? So if it's an Air Jordan 1 and it's a fake, it's still going to sell for retail or, or probably two or three times higher because the objective is to deceive you, to make you think that it's an actual Air Jordan 1 so it has the value of like a rare Air Jordan 1 that's not sitting on shelves. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of like... It's, 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 you know, it's still, it's always going to be a hustle because it's, it's not what it is. That happens a lot in the Grateful Dead community where knockoff Grateful Dead merch sells for the same price or higher than like vintage stuff. And it, it's just like, depends on like, I guess the artist, the bootleg artist who made the stuff and how much hype that they carry. So people know it's fake. Or oh yeah, it's blatantly fake. It's just like we just screen printed these logos, but you know, like we're cool dudes. So like, it's almost like, oh, you know those dudes? Like, it, there's just like this clout. It's like climbing oh, wow. the ladder of cool by bootlegging. So that's different though, because there's no deception. If you're buying it, you know what it is. You're just buying it because you want it, or because yeah. you want to be associated with that person. And there's this there's this weird thing that happens too. Where the band is actually like, the more the merrier, right? Like, get into it, get into the culture. But then their licensing team, they go around like busting people. Mm-hmm. But like the band doesn't care. So there's like this whole like, uh, are the cops around? They're not? Okay, cool. That, that's that's kind of <laughs> like what happens. Wow. Like, it I- makes for a really creative landscape. Like yeah. anytime you run into someone who like likes this band they'll have stuff that like you've never seen before and it it's like conversation pieces and it just like builds on like the fanfare they they like let it spin itself up versus going around and cracking down on everything left and right but in the sneaker world we're we're led to believe that like authentic is the thing to go for that the thing to strive for well and, and my only issue with that is you know, authentic doesn't just have to be what Nike makes or what Jordan makes or what Adidas makes. You know, authentic can be anything. It just can't be a direct derivative of something that is actually original. Okay, yeah, fair, fair, fair. Because in the in the dead community, the bootlegs are like remixes on stuff. They're not trying to pass it off as like this is the exact same design right. as an OG shirt. So maybe that's what why it stays interesting because it's like a different artist interpretation on something that you may have seen in the past. Right. There's some original thought. 
Gotcha. Some creation. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Did you mean to go there with that, all that near? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see what you started? You lost me at Grateful Dead, man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll probably have to trim that down a few minutes. Talked about them for too long. Um, but on the tip of merch, there's like no place to go, but I still feel like you guys and myself have been still buying stuff, buying clothes, but nowhere to wear. Sadly. Neerich doesn't know it, but he forced me to buy an entire world sweatshirt <laughs> just because he said that they were nice and they're not super expensive. So I, we were having a conversation about a, about a sweatshirt that was expensive. That was like a couple hundred dollars. And he was just like, oh, I can just buy an entire world sweatshirt for like less than half that price. And it'd be dope. And I was just like, I just double clicked on his comment <laughs> and went and bought the sweatshirt. <laughs> Buying just, on your phone so easy now. You know, and it's just kind of one of those things. But I, I respect Neeraj's taste. So if he says it's cool, like, all right, I'm going to check this out. And of course, I, I have nowhere to wear it. But eventually I will. Hopefully. The fit's going to go crazy next year, bro. Like every day, new fits, man. Just like got stuff that's on ice, man. That's right now, like- it's like, it's all about cozy fit right now. That's why I plug yeah. the entire world. And I also like him as a dude, like Scott Sternberg, like from Band, Band of Outsiders. Like, I like his take on the industry. Band of Outsiders is dope. But no, I I think it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where in some cases you have more disposable income or some variation of that. And we're not we're not built to just conserve. That's not what we do. We don't we don't just save money for the sake of saving money. Like we will invest. 401k. What's that about? We'll invest. (laughs) <laughs> but we won't just sit on money. Like if it doesn't have an actual purpose, like I'm going to put this in this startup, I'm going to put this in my in my my growth fund or my mutual fund, or it doesn't automatically get pulled out of my account to go to my fidelity. Like if it's just sitting there, and we, we, we're consumers. Yeah, I mean we we're are. not we're not spending that money being out at a restaurant right now. We're not spending that money like you know going to games. You know, like there's I can't go to a Hawks game right now. I spend like 50 bucks at every Hawks game, like beer, merch, whatever, you know, and right, now it's not, just piling not, up. We're not buying plane tickets. We're not doing any of those things. So so that's why the Noah email hits every Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got a cadence and they just know when it hits you and it works. But what other brands? What other brands have you guys been into uh, since the pandemic dropped? I will say real quick, though, like, I know this just sounds like conspicuous consumption and like vanity just to be dropping your money on stuff. But there is some part of this that's part of like your own expression, right? As probably cliche as that sounds like putting together that something that just feels clean to you and stepping out of the house is something none of us have been able to do much this year. But like how much of like taking pictures or writing or designing a piece of artwork or blah, 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 like that falls under the same category for me in a lot of ways. 100%. And so you rob that experience. That's just another thing in a line of things that have disappeared out of our like creative toolkit this year. Dressing so, is a creative expression. For sure. I mean, for some people, that they're going to roll their eyes at that. And I think other people will totally identify with that. Well, some people won't know that some people do that. And it, it shows. 
by the way they be dressing. <laughs> right. Like if you're coming through with the Allbirds, you know, and a bottle of natty wine, then real suspect. But yeah, I don't. I don't think people value like that surface philosophy of just putting on clothes and like, all right, this is this is who I am, or this is who I am today. This is what I like. This is what I value. And you know, for some people, that might mean buying a piece of art to hang up on the wall, or to just you know sit on sit in the house somewhere and, and that's totally fine too but i think there's is 1000 percent right that's just one thing in a long list of things that makes us happy that we don't get to do anymore or right now we're being told you shouldn't do it because you shouldn't be spending money on things because you're not going anywhere so it's just another way of like taking something away from you that makes you happy and making you feel guilty about enjoying it yeah well that kind of I had a, a thought about like cancel culture this week and that like, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty woke person, <laughs> but if I deprive myself of everything that's cancelable, like I will be sitting in the house with a frown and not and like staring at the walls. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know what? It's Sunday. You know what? The NFL's problematic, but there's an Asian guy that kicks for the Falcons. I want to watch him. So I'm going to turn the TV on, man. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just got to do that. And there's so many things where I'm like, yo, it can't just be like so extreme, right? So extreme left. And there's no middle ground whatsoever. I got to live my life. Especially in this year, man. If there are certain things that are bringing you happiness and to some degree, you just got to enjoy that. I will say like one last thing on this whole, are you scooping stuff to wear? You know, we, we obviously turn into this culture of like you're flexing what you wear on Instagram and you're posting stuff. But let's also not forget that we're middle aged and a lot of this stuff for us started sheerly based on community. And that's still what it is. Like the three of us are probably good friends because we share that love of sneakers. We're sneaker heads, we're NBA heads. And like that's where this emanated for me. And that's also part of this I miss, right? Like I just miss sending you guys links about stuff we might be copying and talking about like that's the conversation for the day and like that's my connection i had with my friends which is the same connection i had in seventh grade talking about the rockets or did you watch the jordan game last night right so i yeah, think that feeds absolutely into right and and then now we just get served up ads for the stuff that we send each other because <laughs> oh our phones gosh. are listening to us the social dilemma i'm waiting for some like stupid new york blogger to write their article, The Social Dilemma, about the social <laughs> dilemma. But, you know, for us, you know, I, I think Neerich with his camera and his eye for, you know, all things. Larry and I kind of dabbling in creating streetwear lines years ago. You know, that's just a part of who we are. Like, we want to see people create cool things and appreciate it. So sometimes that means buying something. Sometimes that means passing around links and creating that connectivity amongst your friends and talking about something somebody made that was cool and not just looking at it, but actually dissecting what's cool about it and how they made it and what they were inspired by. So that part of like cancel culture or saying, God, we're such customers for buying things right now. And that's so stupid. You know, that's something that, you know, depending on who you are, if you're a certain type of person, that's just something that kind of gives you life. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, for someone, it's a pair of sneakers. Another person, it's a bottle of wine. Exactly. For, for me, it's both. both. But, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> you just sent me a list of um, five wine wrecks today, and I bought four of them. Yeah, I'm so stoked for you, man. Those are those are all winners too. <laughs> no Santa Margarita in this. Anything to keep keep the smile on my face right now, you know. Like there there can't be so much delineation at at the moment. Stuff's bad. I think that's a funny thing too. It's like there's things that need to be discussed and canceled right now, and then there's a de- yeah, like of, racism. Yes, exactly. Cancel that. But there's a degree of empathy we need to offer to the people around us because we're all like struggling and hurting in different ways this year. So you know what? If your homie wants to watch the Atlanta Falcons game, like that's cool, man. Yeah, that and that's kind of my good. thing too. Like I, I'm not watching the NFL. I haven't watched in years. But if somebody's like, if somebody's watching and enjoying it for one reason or another, <laughs> like Larry says, as long as they're not a racist or a bigot or something like that, then you know, cool. Watch the game, enjoy it, and it is what it is. Like this, it's not even really, <laughs> you know, something that I should personally be worried about. You know, right? Like right. a lot of things that are going on in the world these days are stemming from people looking at what everyone else is doing and getting all in their business. Versus, how about just like make sure you're happy? It's like the definition of a Karen getting in somebody <laughs> else's business when you should be worrying about being happy yourself. That's yeah. what a Karen is, actually. But Karens, by, by nature, design. just aren't happy, though. Exactly. Well, on the topic of racism, I did want to bring up this New York Times writer, uh, Paul Krugman. He wrote this thing up about 9-11, because it was like the 19th anniversary of or 9-11. And um, he said, overall, Americans took 9-11 pretty calmly. Notably, there wasn't a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence, which could all too easily have happened. And I'm like, who is this guy to claim that there wasn't anti-Muslim sentiment? Because I'm pretty sure there was. I mean, I got like 2,000 things to say right now. Go off. I'm just teeing you up, bro. All right. Sorry for the next 20 minutes of this. No, there's a lot to say. I mean, look, he's a brilliant economist, right? And And the funny thing is I think he was trying to make a point that we might have agreed with, but he just did such a piss poor job of it. What's frustrating is after he makes this comment a few days later, he doubles down on the claim. And he's like, oh, people came at me for this tweet, but here's some data. And I don't think you would have been that upset. The, the stupid, obvious comment here is that his data actually proves that there was a lot of fallout. Like the, the hate crimes pre to post 9-11 went up like a thousand percent, literally. So by definition, this was like a massive thing. But I think what we're probably all thinking is when you're so hooked on this, these quantitative sets, you miss the qualitative stuff behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's like how many kids went to school and were cussed out or had racial slurs thrown at them or physical things thrown at them? Like, you know, how many people felt uncomfortable just living their day to day lives or this thread that Larry sent me on Twitter, which was half joking but if you read through it it was like such a tragedy the guy was like if you're muslim or middle eastern what did your family do to act more american after 9-11 and these comments were wild right like one guy's like yo my dad bought a ford f-150 one guy's like my my 11 year old son name changed his name from usama to carl Literally, this kid changed his name to Carl. He's 11 years old. There's a plan. There's so many people who are like, 
my dad had this dope mustache or beard. It was the first time I'd ever seen him clean shaven in 20 years. And I'm like, these are the actual social repercussions of this, right? Like mm-hmm. people were hurting. They were scared. They, they, other people saw them as the enemy and they probably questioned who they were too, right? And mm-hmm. like their lack of confidence every day stepping out. So I think that's troubling. The other thing I find is really troubling, which is a bit of a tangent, but when I'm thinking about the, the coronavirus and this just ridiculous narrative that Trump has adopted, calling it the China virus, right? Hurtful. It's, it's hurtful. And what he's essentially doing is being so divisive. And this is what Krugman's discounting is the amount of divisiveness that has occurred in society, right? Like now we're attacking Asian Americans. And the, the other part of this, and I'll, I'll end my tangent here soon, but like, it's funny when I see other minorities who are supporting Trump or are on the right. Like, I get it. We're not a monolith. You should be able to vote how you want to vote and be who you are. I always have this like funny, funny scenario play out in my head. Like there's a racist dude walking down the street. He's not going to say, oh, your last name's Cho. Oh, you're Korean. Okay, you're one of the good ones. Right. I'm just after the Chinese people. Or like, oh, you're Vietnamese? No, you're fine, man. This is a Chinese virus. Like, it's just an attack on anything that's not seen as American, which in this case we know is white American. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I'm thinking about is like, I see a lot of Indian people who are Hindus for Trump and adopt the same narrative. And I think with this idea of 9-11 and anti, this like anti-Muslim sentiment, they really feel like they're walking down the street and a dude, a Kyle Rittenhouse with a gun is going to come up to him and be like, oh, your last name's Patel, not Muhammad, and you're a doctor? No, nah, man, go ahead. It's not like that, bro. Like, you're brown. That's the end of the story. That's it. And in this narrative is like, oh, well, I'm one of the good ones. I'm a Hindu or I'm Korean in this Chinese virus scenario. And that's really troublesome to me because what you're doing is you're deferring that there is some overlord body or race that gets to tell you if you're good or not or that you've assimilated right or not or that you belong or not right and that's really problematic to me because you're saying that your belonging and merit is in the hands of someone else determining it and in this in these scenarios it's the white american culture telling you whether you fit in or you're doing it right or wrong and that's just bs to me and you know how shameful it is to turn your back on a whole group of people that look just like you, that probably look up to you as, as a model of how they want to aspire to be and to turn your back on those people. Ugh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. I mean, you were literally setting our cultures back another, you know, a couple of generations with that stuff. Cause that, that vitriol is just going to keep getting passed down and that judgment of do we belong and, us belonging is in someone else's standards and hands. Yeah, that's why it's so important for us not to internalize that hate because then, like Nirit says, you start to question, you know, your own validity or, you know, should I assimilate? Am I wrong in some way? Or could I save myself because I'm this version of that people and not the version that's considered evil or wrong or don't belong or whatever the case may be? So, man, it's, yeah, just, it's tough. It's a, And that's like what you're saying too, Darren. Like, I think people will write that off. Like, that's a very real experience. Like, I remember the, yeah. first, the first time 
after 9-11 when all the airport changes happened, I got that like, not the random screening, I got the last screening when you're about to board the plane. And like the person checked every content on my bag and I was literally the last person to board the plane. And like every eye was on me, right? It's obviously embarrassing, but I got to be honest, man, some part of me just felt like guilty, like, oh shit, did I do something wrong? But I didn't clearly right but like you assume those feelings and those emotions and that's really powerful man so it it makes you feel so small to know that people are like putting you in a box and making you go through certain protocols like spontaneously in front of everyone else like you you just feel so small and they don't know they're doing it so what i think the solution is is there need to be more people that look like us making media and speaking on these topics and sharing our stories. I mean, when you think of like Asian people sharing their stories, there's like very few, like probably you would say like Eddie Huang or, or maybe like the, the dudes in like crazy rich Asians. And that's it. That's kind of like it. You look at like the one guy that plays in the NFL that looks like me. You look at Jeremy Lin, that's our story. So when when that happens, we have to latch on. We have to support. But then we also have to like be vocal about getting positions to write about the NBA and the NFL. Well, it's also that people who already hold those positions should have, you know, some sort of pride about themselves or, you know, a certain level of allyship to say if it's, you know, Latin Heritage Month and I need to write, you know, five stories all right, well, maybe let me fall back and tell my editor to hire a freelancer or maybe just hire somebody and give them benefits who's in that community instead of writing a story myself that I actually can't validate because I haven't lived through. So, again, it always, well, it's not the only thing, but for me, it goes back to allyship a lot. Like, can you get over yourself? Can you, like, step aside so someone else can tell a real story? can tell an honest story, can tell a story from a place of experience rather than just, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know how I want to put this, but I think when, you know, white writers and editors write stories about, you know, black experiences or Hispanic experiences or Asian experiences, it's just, it's arrogance. Yeah. Yeah. It's just pure arrogance that you think that you're smart enough that you can kind of manipulate not living those experiences and write something that's actually valid. And you can't. Totally. Or we're such caricatures that you can sum us up and put it. Right? Because right. there's that white writer who's like, yeah, but I've had three Indian friends. I know the Indian experience. And I'm like, okay, there's millions of us in this country and we're all vastly different. Like you're just right. robbing us of any nuance you know right right. which is the other issue and to larry's point it's just like i see this with indian indian americans who get on right like aziz is on or mindy kaling's on or hasan minaj is on it's like they should all be on we should all be on simultaneously and we should have so many people because they're all different like aziz and hasan probably have completely different views on certain things Mm -hmm. and maybe they're alike in certain ways but we need both of them we need more of them right like, if you just, like, I, I don't know why this popped in my head, but I'm just thinking about black comedians. Then I'm thinking about black male comedians. Then I'm thinking about black male comedians over the age of 40. And we could probably name, like, half, you know, a dozen to half a dozen off the top of our head, right? Mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart, blah, blah, blah. 
they're all great, but they're all completely unique and different, right? Totally different. So, you know, a white writer writing that character is just picking one stereotype, one caricature. And Larry, to your point earlier about like the Houston Dynamo rebranding and bringing it to a minority-owned creative agency, this is the difference between attempting to be inclusive or actually being authentic. Because the white guy designing it and rebranding it can attempt to be inclusive, but the Latinx guy or girl or however they identify designing that and rebranding that, that's authentic. It's coming from their standpoint, right? Yeah, like do you want it to be embedded with real Latinx stories or do you want it to be Cinco de Mayo on the patio? We're drinking margaritas, you know, like totally. which, which one do you want? Do you want cosplay or do you want the real thing? Totally. Do you want it? Oh, we're back to day of the dead and this is what everyone knows and is safe to people. Or do you want some real stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I Damn. think that's big. And, and at the end of the day, I just want to get young way Koo on this podcast. So Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> I'm the only Asian person in the media that's qualified to interview him. <laughs> I believe it. it it's also like you know we were talking a lot about New York and we were talking about subcultures like streetwear and stuff I still don't think we have a, that representation there either right 100% 100% there's like I could name like Bobby Hundreds and Errolson Hugh are like the two Asian dudes that like do streetwear but otherwise, oh, there's that guy there's that guy at public school New York too but he's like yeah for sure and I mean, there's people doing dope stuff like Kirby, obviously. Is, congrats to him on the CFDA. But like, yeah, there needs to be more of us talking too. There's designers, there should be media, should be covered by diverse people. I, and, you know, the funny thing is, we, I, I'm sure you guys saw some of this, like the fallout at Bon Appetit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Like they're paying their white content creators, but they're not paying the same and or at all to their ethnic content creators. So that was a whole roller coaster man like i was consuming their content like so heavily at the beginning of this pandemic i was like oh i'm gonna cook i'm gonna learn how to cook this stuff's funny these people are cool or whatever and as soon as that hit i was like yo i feel like guilty about watching bon appetit right now but story ends in a good way um the woman that they have hired uh sonia chopra is actually my homie's sister Oh, that's yeah, so that's she's really from dope. Atlanta. So I'm I'm like really proud of her. That's really dope. And it's like I, I think there's probably enough people who probably sit back there who are haters and who think this is some sort of quota thing, like, oh, y'all need to see this many people. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's just like there's limitless talent out there from all sorts of cultures, and it's just been like in the hands of a few people. Or in this bone appetite scenario, you had a diverse cast, but you're not paying your ethnic creatives as much. Like that's the nut. That's a whole. That's just savage, straight up. That's yeah. real savage. Yeah. That's just like wrong. Um, but hopefully that's corrected or is on the way to being corrected. This all leads to a question I had for Neeraj because I know we've been talking a lot about starting podcasts, and I've done mine. I feel like you're on the verge of putting one out. Yes. Anything you want to leak? This this one person this one person rumor mill. <laughs> shout outs to my uh, to my mom who's probably gonna be the only one who's listening to this thing. 
No, I definitely want to. I definitely want to put put out a pod, and I'm going to do it soon. Uh, and it goes to what you're saying too. Like, look, there's plenty of Asian Americans putting out podcasts and having conversations now. Uh, but I think there needs to be no, more nuance within the conversation, and that's always a good thing. We need all our voices. And I also want to say something on creativity. I think we all get discouraged because we either see someone doing it better, quote unquote, or they're already doing it. And so we discount it. And I don't think that's the game. It's not that you have to necessarily to be the best. That's not to say don't be great at your craft. It's just to say there's, there's someone who's going to pay attention to the way you articulate something mm-hmm. more and it might hit home more for them than the way someone else articulates it, even if they're from your same culture, even if they're largely saying the same thing. So it's like, I think we should be taking those leaps. It's one of the things I actually, if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, it's like seeing my friends go on IG, like my, I have worked in the food industry for 12 years. So like seeing my friends who are chefs, like being fearless and just like creating and putting the recipes out and putting their face out. I think they were probably a little scared to do that. Like, yeah. well, what's this person going to say? Or what's this chef at this restaurant going to say? Or blah, blah, blah. And they, they did it. And I'm, I'm proud of them. And I think we all kind of have to take that and run with it too. Like if you have something to say, if you have something to share, put it out there. It's, it's time. Yeah, yeah. This is the year of like making that personal brand strong. You, you got to just do it. And it's fun. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah. I love that, man. I, I know people are going to say like, oh, well, there at one point there was like a podcast, Golden Era, and now it's kind of watered down and everyone has, everyone has one or everyone has two. I think that's like the dumbest thing. Well, that's just the gatekeepers. They're just trying right. to be gatekeepers. Right. And, and, and it's, I don't think it should be any different than everyone having an Instagram. Or everyone having a Facebook because it's all about your own expression and what you have to say. Like it's not it, it's it was just kind of always silly for us to be like, oh dang, I gotta get off Facebook because now old people are on it, or for Gen Z to say, well, Instagram isn't popping anymore because millennials are on it and now they're old. Like it's it's an it's a space or a platform of expression for everyone. And to Nira's point, everyone's expression and how they have lived their experiences is different. So my thing is like, if you want to have a podcast, if you want to have two, do that shit. Do it today. Make it good. Yeah. But do it. And don't feel like it's not for you because you're not, you know, some big podcaster who has, you know, tons of sponsors or whatnot. Like, fuck those people. Yeah, for sure. man. And I also think people look at too much like, you know, there's enough people doing their sardonic cultural commentary as a podcast. So it's like, if you feel like you have something to say, do it. You're not doing it for the likes or the laughs. You're doing it because you just want to speak your truth, right? And this is another way to speak your truth. Like, I know it's, again, like, I think this is another, I I really think it's an art form. Conversation is an art form, right? Mm -hmm. Having an interview, hosting a proper interview is an art form. Like, so if you got something to say, if you got your truths to speak, maybe you draw, maybe you paint, maybe you write, maybe you photograph. This is just another extension of like how you can do that, right? Some people are going to spin this into a business and they're going to worry about how many impressions or followers or listeners they get or what they convert to a job or a client. But that, that man to turn a podcast into a job sounds so lame. <laughs> As a guy who's like on a lot of podcasts, like if this was my job, I would. I would that, oh man. That wouldn't be fun at all. 
It's not. And I think. Because then like, it'd be like, oh, you talked to so-and-so, but like, why didn't you ask him this question? And it would blah, only blah, blah. be, it would only be fun if it was your job and you were actively trying to get fired every day. That's the <laughs> only way it would be fun is if you wanted to be shitty at it or just so off the cuff and brazen that it was actually fun. Yeah. That's the only way. That's the only way to do it. And it's the only way to keep people listening too, right? Yeah. Like imagine a podcast that like had strategy and business metrics behind it. Like you wouldn't listen to that. No, that's trash. It sounds awful. But and so like, I mean, you guys are both brilliant creatives and like, this is my reflection on a younger creative generation. Like I'm, there's going to be people who create things, but if I have any like worry for the next generation, it's just like everything is seen as like a commodity. Well, are you going to get notoriety? Are you going to get followers from it? Are you going to be able to monetize it? Are you going to sell something? And I think a lot of people have started to rob themselves of like, you're just creating art to create some art. It's like, that's a beautiful thing. Like create it for the process, create it for your own expression. I think sometimes we add this metric on top and it, stops people from wanting to take a leap or like we all do this right you post the dope photo on instagram and we delete it because it just didn't get enough likes and you've talked yourself out <laughs> of thinking that's actually a great photograph when maybe it right. was but you know I, have, yeah, I, I agree with that to an extent because i think about something like tiktok which is kind of terrible for its own reasons but TikTok was something that, you know, Gen Z kids just started doing because it was cool and it was fun. Yeah. And, 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 and they got commoditized. Right. Yeah. So right. They, they weren't creating on TikTok to like, you know, to, to, to get a rep or to get a name or to get sponsorship. They it's, it's you know, it's kind of like in a way, if you're like an older black or brown person and you're living in a in a neighborhood that's being gentrified you probably want to live there until you die you probably want to live there you wouldn't live there for the rest of your life until somebody comes knocking at your door and tells you that they can buy your house for 30 some odd 40 percent over its value so you're like well okay i kind of behind all my taxes yeah maybe i should sell this house and then somebody buys your house from under you and then they you know, build a coffee shop on that lot or, you know, rezone it and, and build a building with 10 stories on it when you were just, you know, trying to live in your house and, you know, yeah. you kind of got swindled to a large degree. I think that happens a lot of times with creatives. They're just being creative or just, you know, in some people's case, they're just attractive, just being cute. <laughs> and then someone comes along and like, hey, I'll give you X amount of dollars if you are, you know, a partner for this new whiskey or for this new swimwear line yeah so (laughs) right so you just you 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 start with the right intent and then you kind of get swindled is the word i'm using but i don't even know if that's the right word but I, i say all that to say i don't think everyone starts out with those intentions just to do something to make money i don't think so either and i'm not saying that's the intention of young people i'm just saying don't get discouraged by using that as a measure if, if you right. are starting out. Right. But I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that's a large, that's just symptomatic of where we are as a culture right now, right? 
we got to, mm. we like come up and try to monetize everything. Like to me, there's no, is there subculture left anymore? Is there authentic subculture that's, and somehow capitalism hasn't bastardized to some degree? Yeah, like, know, you know, the WSJ posting, you should be dressing like a skater now. It's like, damn, leave, leave skate culture alone, man. That's all. But skate culture's been being poached on for been, years. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's also been the bar, right? For us, probably. Like skate yeah. culture's always been the bar for me. Like, what's those? Well, let me look at skate culture. What are the skaters wearing? What do the graphics look like? It's just yeah. like that drives everything. Because the sca- skaters, like, you know, they are deep in that, deep into finding cool stuff. Man. But see, what's so interesting about this to me is that we always kind of create in these spaces that we don't own. TikTok is cool. So that's where we, that's where we, where we migrate. Instagram is cool. So that's where we migrate. Like this brand is cool. So even if it's white owned and it's streetwear, you know, if it's cool, maybe that's what we're buying. Or, you know, if we know Nike has all these issues with diversity and all this, it's still what we're buying because that's what's cool. So it's kind of like we're always kind of playing in the place that we don't, where we're not represented. And and not to, you know, be victim blaming or anything like that, but it's just something that we just don't really think about enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but then you have to be really intentional about doing your research on like every company you have to be really right. intentional about everything. Right. So, like, where was this Travis Scott burger really made? <laughs> Need to know. Oh, man. Cactus Jack sent me. <laughs> Need to know. Have you guys tried that yet? No. I can't tell you the last time I had McDonald's, to be honest. Me neither. I, I mean, I respect the hustle, but nah, I'm cool. All right. You didn't cop any merch? You didn't, like, go to the... The microsite. Dude, I'm about to be 40. I'm not about to be walking around with Gojin's arches on my <laughs> on my shorts. It's like, come on, dog. Some McNuggets. Oh, yeah. Got a got a barbecue sauce packet on my t-shirt pocket. Like, nah, fam. Yeah, I respect the hustle. So there's something to be said, or at least I'm taking away from this. Like, obviously, it's great to have the talents, like the talents that you guys have, to to get paid to like have a career and then it's really fulfilling to have side things that you do that you don't put metrics on you just have fun with it Mm -hmm. Um, and i do that a lot and it's something i've discovered like in the last couple years that that's what keeps me going to put up with all the other stuff i have to deal with so i have a instagram account where i just post pictures of my hand modeling and I don't really advertise it, but it's just a thing that I have and it makes me happy. Do you guys have anything like that? I yeah. think the way you articulated this was what I was kind of alluding to earlier and I probably made that messy. Which is like, if you're doing art, just like sometimes you just need it for yourself, right? Like that's a beautiful thing. I think I have this stupid wine page on Instagram that has now become really fun because when I, I had a wine bar for almost nine years and I like never kept track of what I was drinking. And I looked back and I was like, damn, I really should have done that. And I started this page where I'm just posting infrequently if I have a bottle and I like it. What's the page called? Finished the bottle on Instagram. What I've realized is it's led to so many random DM conversations, mostly with people I don't know. I don't have any followers, a few hundred followers on that page. But it's provided me this sense of community that I'm really missing right now 
for not being actively in the wine industry because of the pandemic. And so that's something I'm doing for myself that I'm probably deriving a lot of joy out of and having conversations that I'm missing out on otherwise. I don't have an account to speak of, although I feel like I should, because it seems like a lot of a lot of my friends have one now. Um, one of our mutual friends uh, has one with he's just like um, buying different hats and he's just showing like random hats and it's really tight. Um, but I just I've been sewing a lot and Larry, you and I had talked about this a while back. Um, so I just been like whenever I can buying fabric, just sewing, just trying to make things and taking things that are already in my closet and just kind of trying to figure out how to make little alterations to them and things like that. And it's not anything anybody sees. You know, I just kind of do it at the house and fix stuff or mess up stuff and get mad because I messed up something that was expensive and, you know, just move on to the next thing. So wait, so um, when you're like out and you're like getting coffee or something and you're fit and someone's like, yo, where did you get that? Where'd you get those pants? You'd be like, oh, you can't get this in the shop. Yeah. Like you can't you can't get this. Like I'm, I sewed this. I haven't or flexed I'm, that hard on somebody yet, <laughs> but I might. You just my gave favorite, me the idea to just flex on a random thing dude. When people run up and like, "Yo, where'd you get those shoes or whatever?" I'm always like, "Just don't worry about it." <laughs> That's my favorite thing to say: is "Yo, don't worry about it." Larry, I can't. I can't stop staring at your hands. Though. <laughs> 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 you gotta tell. You gotta break down this hand model page a little more. I think you left it. Oh, yeah. You dropped well, that too quick. I, I was asked to, like, hold stuff in a photo shoot when I was at an agency, like, seven or eight years ago. And everyone was like, yeah, oh, we need to, like, hold this Coke bottle for, like, this brand standards document. Larry, you have nice hands. And I was like, I do? Okay. And ever since I started doing that, like, the, I would get asked to, like, be in the next thing. I actually just did it last week for for a different client project. So, yeah, I've got like a, you know, very low-key hand modeling career where I sometimes I just hold stuff for brands and have my hands get pictures taken out. It's, Man, you're it's on really your Zoolander, which is hard right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was at Mugatu? Or, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah, amazing. I mean, it's it's not something like I super advertise, but it's it's definitely like a fun, like weird wrinkle in my in my story. I think I was flexing on some pair of sneakers I had last year and I was posting it and I remember sending it to you, both of you guys. And Larry sends me like he like redlined it, a 12 page like write up on how I should be positioning my hand perfectly. I should be able to see all your fingers, bro. <laughs> Reference yeah, images. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so when you're, th- this, this is this is a this is its own um, problem that happens on social media is like when people are flexing their shoes, and this happens a lot. Like Ronnie Feig does it. Um, he's got this, some like friends and family Air Force One, but he's holding it, and all you can see is the butt of his hand and his thumb because the shoe is just sitting on his palm. And I'm like, no, bro, you got to see all those fingers. You got to make it like you got to make your hand look like a hand. Um, and so you want you want the lens to be able to like see what's going on. Otherwise, it just it just looks sad. Oh, this free game right now. This yeah, free, free, free game, hand man. game. Aspiring hand models hit me up. I can tell you how to <laughs> trim your cuticles back. All that stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, what else, guys? 
Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you guys about um, how the the world came down on the Clippers, and it was jokes and entertainment for everyone. Oh my gosh, it was great. It was exceptional. Man, I was I was at home in my bed laughing at the top of my lungs at like twelve thirty at night by myself. <laughs> Felt like a psychotic person. <laughs> But I was so happy. Dude, when the timeline brings you laughs like that, uh, it's a so special moment. happy. And, oh my gosh. I don't know why it's so funny when the Clippers lose. Because there are a lot of teams that lose and it's just like, oh, whatever, they lost. But when the Clippers lose, it is just comedy. Yeah, I, I read this thing in Bleacher Report today by Sean Hyken. He's an NBA writer. And... Uh, he was breaking down like why it's funny that the Clippers lost and there's so many things you know having to do with like building the super team and Steve Ballmer and trying to like build mm-hmm. a new stadium but gentrifying the area and like, the, all this there's like reason after reason talk about know, being blowing cursed. a 3-1 lead and um, they're just corny I think uh, at the end of the day they're just corny and there's no Clippers fans to defend themselves like, like, did you see any Clippers fans clap back? I didn't see any. Clipper Daryl doesn't have Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I man, I think it's all true though. They kind of never really. They just thought they were going to walk to the finals. Yeah, they never played hard. They never played together before the bubble. Uh, there was just tons of load management PG and Kawhi weren't playing they weren't even practicing half the time and then the other players were mad because they were getting preferential treatment because they weren't having to, to do a lot of the heavy lifting it was just Patrick Beverly was talking all kinds of shit it was just a train wreck from the jump and they ran up against a really good Denver team who was just like they just work actually hard. these guys can't beat us like I don't care who's on the other side of this other side of the ball they're just were better and they knew it and they proved it like they were Clippers were up 3-1 even going into game 7 they were up 10 at the half and they lost by 20 plus in Yo, a closeout game it. it's so funny <laughs> I love it and and I'm really happy for Paul Millsap because he's my guy uh, but but I'm also really scared for him because I think he's going to have to guard LeBron or AD and he's like shorter than AD so I ha- he's gonna probably get smoked or clowned <laughs> a lot on the timeline. But he's gonna at get least, exposed for sure. But but the the, the last forty eight hours have been like Paul Millsap uh, greatness celebration. That was like that was probably the night I've seen Twitter at its absolute finest. Oh my gosh, classic Twitter night. NBA Twitter was on fire. But Neeraj, I don't, I don't know. I think that Lakers Nugget series will go seven. I still think the Lakers win. I think Vegas is picking the Lakers in six, I think. But Denver's really good, man. But I don't know. I think a Lakers Heat final is going to be kind of tight. It's kind of old school. I think the Lakers win, too. I almost think there's no way Denver pulls that out. So this you're not taking you're push. not taking another bet on the Lakers? <laughs> you're not betting against the Lakers again? 
Oh man, I just had to for it. It wasn't even that was less of a love of the Rockets as it was uh, as it was so much spite for the Lakers. <laughs> uh, I just had to throw twenty on it. You did but it for anyway, the culture, bro. I did I, it for the culture. I don't know how Nerds feels about this, but you know, for me, in terms of rooting for NBA teams, it's I want the Rockets to win. If the Rockets can't win, I want LeBron to win. It's just boom, boom. So if the Rockets aren't playing, it's LeBron. It's not even a team. It's just him as an entity. It's not the Heat. It's not the Lakers. It's not the Cavs. It's just LeBron. I wish it were that simple for me. But my my I'm, my whole like reasoning for why I want one team to win over another is so convoluted. Uh, it's just like I, I I couldn't even break it down. <laughs> but I do want LeBron to win too. Like I like LeBron. I think he's the goat. I really do. If the Lakers lose, like that'd be funny to me too. You know, like I don't necessarily want them to win. You know, Larry just wants to get in some. I love chaos. Some DMs, bro. some text threads, and talk shit. Yeah, just yeah, start, sure. some, start some shit. Classic pot stir, man. And Larry's like just the most chill dude, laid back personality. But he's just sitting back there pulling the strings like Geppetto. Larry's the most chill. But also, I bet y'all won't fight though, dude. Like ever. <laughs> oh man, I do. I do love. I do love some drama. I guess. Oh man. But it's not that serious, you know. Like life is crazy, bro. Like we gotta get jokes off. Gotta get jokes off in the group chat. Gotta Absolutely. laugh at the NBA. Got to. Absolutely gotta laugh when Kawhi leaves Toronto and like can't even get to the uh, Western Conference Finals mm. alright guys I think we did it yeah I mean we probably got a lot to edit back there but yeah we did it <laughs> how can people find you on the socials I am on Twitter and Instagram at dgriff123 uh, yeah I'm the same on the grams and the tweet platform at Neeraj all right gents thanks for coming on love to have you guys on again soon to make fun of things <laughs> no doubt thanks for having us there